We turn in the scriptures this morning to James 1. <clears throat> James 1. James in his epistles does address our wealth and the comforts that our wealth buys in a number of different places, really. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to refer to some of those passages in our sermon this morning. But we're going to read James 1, and we'll take a look at verse 17 in particular. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing." If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways." Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways." Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word." and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, 
but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This far we're going to read God's word this morning. As I mentioned, we're going to call attention to verse 17 of this chapter. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. On this passage of Scripture, and passages such as this, is based the truth of God's Word as we find it in Lord's Day 50. Lord's Day 50, which this morning I'll remember to read. Question and answer 125. Which is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread, that is, be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body, that we may thereby acknowledge thee to be the only fountain of all good, and that neither our care, nor industry, nor even thy gifts can profit us without thy blessing. And therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in thee. With the fourth petition of his model prayer, Jesus finally turns our attention to the earthly. As we have noticed, our prayers must always be spiritual in nature. And this is even true now when in this particular petition we turn our attention to our earthly or physical needs. It is here that many stumble in their prayers. Instead of making requests of God that are according now to his will, we find that at this particular juncture in their prayers, their prayers become very, very earthly, and they do not know how to ask God for what they ought properly. James refers to that a little bit later on in James 4, when he says in verse 3, Ye ask, ye pray, and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. The spiritual nature of prayer is lost by many at this point. People are not interested, it seems, in the heavenly so much as they are interested in the earthly. And over against that, Jesus gives us now a a short, a concise request as regard our earthly needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Certainly a request of this sort is far from the cries that we hear of so many today. There is a large segment of Christianity today, the prosperity Christianity of our day, where the preacher will stand above or before everybody in the congregation of thousands of people and teach them that God is blessing us only when he gives us 
riches. And if we serve God the harder in our life, then God will give us more riches in this life too. Because of that, we ought to proceed rather carefully and pay close attention to what Jesus is now teaching us is the proper use of our prayers when it comes to the earthly. Notice Jesus places this particular petition right before the request for the forgiveness of sins. Always kind of wondered about that. Oftentimes in my own prayers, the forgiveness of sins becomes such an urgent need that I can spend quite a bit of my time on that particular request itself. And yet Jesus takes this request and he places it before that request, indicating, of course, that our prayer for earthly needs is also very important. Our life here in this world is precious. It is. And it's for that reason, too, that we ask for the sustenance from God to support our earthly lives as well. And for that reason, Christ teaches us to ask for those needs in this present life, even before asking for the forgiveness of sins. And that brings up a, a common misconception also with respect to this particular uh, petition, something that goes to the opposite extreme, it seems, as those who want to propagate the prosperity religion of our day. These say that this life in this world is evil. It's evil. Only our heavenly life is precious. Life in this present world really is not of the essence. And we ought never, therefore, they say, to pray for the things of this present life. So they take this particular petition and they spiritualize it. And they say, well, Jesus Christ, after all, is the bread of life. And what we ought to be praying for in this particular petition is that God will give us Jesus Christ each day of our lives in this world. That extreme is not true either. These, or this earthly life is precious that God has placed us in this present world to live as his people is necessary, and we rejoice in the life that God has given us here below. And for that reason, we pray for our earthly needs as well as our spiritual. Keeping now those two extremes in mind, we want to direct our attention to this particular request. Give us our daily bread. In the first place, we want to consider our daily bread Secondly, the good provider, and then finally, a childlike trust. The Catechism points out for our benefit the fundamental principle of this particular petition. When we ask God to give us this day our daily bread, we're asking him this. Be pleased to provide us with all things necessary for the body. Up to this point, we've been requesting of God that he grant us all things necessary for our hearts and for our souls. Now we are asking him for everything necessary for our earthly life and the support of our earthly life 
in this world. But notice the restrictions that Jesus places on this particular petition. Give us this day, he says, our daily bread. Quite the restriction. One cannot help but notice that we are being taught here by Jesus Christ only to ask of God for the necessities of life in this world. We ask God only for what we need to live and nothing more. Give us this day. I'm not asking God for anything for tomorrow or for anything for the future. I'm not asking him for that. I'm asking him for the needs of this particular day in my life. Give me this day my daily bread. That prayer reminds me, of course, of a couple of different incidents that are brought up for you and me in the Scripture itself. It reminds me of the nation of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. If you recall, God commanded them through Moses to gather just enough manna for one day. That's it. Just enough manna to live for that one day. And there were children of Israel that were greedy, and they decided to gather more manna than just for one day. And they found out that that manna the next day was rotten and full of worms. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm reminded also of the parable now of that rich man who gathered all of his goods into his barns. Wealthy man, wealthy man. And he said to himself, now I have enough goods laid up for my years. I could take my ease, drink, and be merry. I've got my barns filled. In fact, I built bigger and better barns and filled them too. Now I can just sit back and I can relax for the rest of my life. And God said, you fool. And he required the life of that man that very day. And all those goods that he saved up, were never used by him. They had no lasting value whatsoever. Christ teaches you and me to pray for bread sufficient for this day. But that's not all he teaches us in this particular request because he also teaches us to ask for our daily bread. Our daily bread. He teaches us to pray for bread. Doesn't teach you and me to pray for all the trimmings that we so richly enjoy today, but just for bread. And then, just enough bread for one day, my daily bread. We don't ask of God, can I have an extra slice of bread? Can I have a little bit more food in order that my belly might be just a little bit fuller today? We ask God for daily bread. Just enough to live for that one day. Now, we ought not to misunderstand either what Jesus is teaching us by this particular petition. Jesus is not teaching you and me that we may not ask for anything from God but just a couple of slices of bread maybe for a day. 
person cannot live properly, we know that, on just bread. And he's obviously not teaching you and me in this particular petition just to ask bread of God. Jesus is teaching us to ask for the necessities of life. And God knows, God knows that we have those things that are necessary for this present life. For example, Jesus speaks of this fact when in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, starting in verse 31, he says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles do seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. God knows we need food and that enough food to keep us healthy in this present life. God knows that. Our Heavenly Father knows that we have a need of clothing. We don't ask God only for a piece of bread. God supply my needs too as far as my clothing is concerned. Can you imagine living here near the, the mountains uh, of the Rocky Mountains here without clothing to keep us warm? We ask God, of course, for, for shelter. We need shelter from the stormy blast too, don't we, around us? So these are some necessities in life. And there are probably other necessities too that we can think of in our present life that, that we ask God to supply for us in our lives. But the question comes, people of God, before us. Why do we ask only for what we need? Nothing more. Because Jesus is teaching us here that our life really does not consist in the earthly. Not alone. Man cannot live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And to ask for more than our basic needs is to, well, it's to set our sights now on the earthly rather than on the heavenly. And Jesus has been teaching us all along, including in this petition, that our sights need to be placed on the heavenly. That's what's important. You and I are pilgrims and strangers passing through this life, in this world. And as God's people, we are those, the writer to the Hebrews 11 teaches us, who live in tents, spiritually. We live in tents, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because we do not have an abiding place here. Even as the shoes and the clothing of the people of Israel did not wear out in the wilderness, so also do you and I need basically that clothing to keep us warm in this world and to cover our nakedness. So, what do we ask for in our prayers? I mean, that places us squarely in front of that question, right? What do we ask for of God in our prayers? Maybe better. What what do we expect from the hand of God when we pray such a petition? Do we think 
that God owes you and me a nice car and a nice house and fashionable clothing and the latest of cell phones and all of the other dainties that we have received in this life? Does God owe that to you and me? What do we expect from God? What do we think that our needs are in this life? And what would we do if God took away all these needs that we have in this life? Would we curse God and die as Job's wife advised him to do? Do we think that would be, we would be unhappy with all of these things that God has given us in life? Do we believe that we are entitled to these things? That we deserve them somehow from God? And that it would really be, well, it would really be unfair of God not to give us all of the comforts and the wealth and the riches that he has given us in our life. We make this petition in our prayers, beloved saints, because we want God to teach us something. We want God to teach us that life doesn't consist, not, not our heavenly life, it doesn't consist in the wealth of this present world. And We ask God to teach us to be satisfied and content in this life with what he has given us. We ask God that he teach us in our hearts not to be like the wicked world that always wants more, more, more in the way of this world's possessions and riches. We ask God that he would teach us to live with the barest necessities of life if that's what he would choose to do. And then to live with them in cheerfulness. How much I need to pray this request. So do you. Because in this society in which we live, everything is handed to us on a silver platter. It really is. We are those who are the quickest oftentimes to complain, aren't we children, when we don't have something that we want instead of need. This request asks really nothing of God when it comes to the extras that we have in this life and how often it is that prayer is used by many in exactly that way. They place their wish list before God in their prayers, and they ask God for this and that and the next thing in this, this life. That flows out of a, a, a society that's so greedy, where few do not even know any longer what the necessities of life are. Be 
beginning already in my generation, and that's what, maybe for some of us here three generations ago, already beginning in my generation, God began to give us wealth in this land and the development that we see all around us in our society because of the wealth that God has given us. And now, so many generations later, it's rather hard to imagine what it is just to have these various necessities in life. My father was a child of the Depression. And very few of us remember that. He was a child at that time. And he would tell us, his kids, that when he was a child, there was no work for his father. And his father had to stand in line, sometimes for hours, just to collect a meal for that night. My father said they had spaghetti to eat every day. It's what they ate. Socks, they were darned. We don't even know what darning is anymore, do we? A little weaving pattern where they would darn the hole in your toe or in your heel. Their pants, well, they had to put patches on them, and if there was a, a ripped pocket, you didn't throw the shirt away, you had to sew that pocket back on again. Think about that once. He told us the story that at Christmas time, one time, a neighbor gave them Christmas cookies. And the next day, in his lunch at school, he had a Christmas cookie between two dry pieces of bread. That was his lunch. We, we cannot even begin to imagine life in those terms anymore today. We have received so much from the Lord. They have food in abundance. We go out and we can have a good, enjoyable time to eat with family or with other individuals. When I lived in the island of Jamaica for a few years, the people that I would sit with oftentimes around their little shanties would clean the bone of a chicken until there was nothing left but the bone. The griddle, the, the skin, Everything was eaten. Even the feet of the chicken were eaten by these Jamaicans. And they always said to me, ha, 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 you Americans, he says, all of you Americans um, live to eat. We in Jamaica eat to live. Isn't that true? We in America throw enough food away in a day that would probably feed a little nation. Don't even think twice about that. We have clothing. Clothing isn't rags. A nice suit to stand before you here this morning. We wear the most fashionable of clothing as well. We have homes. Most of us not little shacks, but beautiful and comfortable homes. And God has given us these things. God has given us these things. What a wonderful, wonderful, as we're going to find, 
what a wonderful blessing God has given us in these things that we have received. But the point is this. Even though it's not wrong to be given as much as we have, it becomes wrong when we begin to live our life for these things. And we begin to think that our life here below consists in these earthly things. Do we ask God for riches? By all means, no, we do not ask God for riches. And yet every day of our lives, we give thanks to God for the riches that we have received. At least every day we should be asking God and giving him thanks. Not one day ought to escape us that we thank God for the necessities of life, not only, but all of the extras that we have received. And to fail to give God thanks is to fail in what we read once again in 1 Timothy, this time in chapter 4 of Timothy. Or not... Yes, Timothy, sorry, I'm thinking of James. 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 and 5. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. We may not fail to be thankful, and we may not fail to sanctify what God has given to you and to me by means of reading his word and by means of prayer and thankfulness expressed to God in our prayers. And how fervent our prayers ought to be in that regard as well. You know, comforts, luxuries, extras have led, it seems, oftentimes to the demise of families and even of churches. Think of the church in Laodicea. Everybody in that church says, ah, we're rich. And we have need of nothing. God says, ah, you're poor, spiritually. And because you think that you're self-sufficient in your riches, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The demise even of a church and of individuals. So we give abundant thanks for everything that God has given to you and to me by his good and his fatherly hand. And oh yes, now the Heidelberg Catechism continues to give us that instruction in this particular petition that we may thereby acknowledge thee to be the only fountain of all good and that neither our care nor our industry nor even thy gifts can profit us without thy blessing. When proper prayer is made to God in this regard now, our earthly possessions, then we begin to understand this one abiding truth, that everything that we receive in this life, it's not ours. It belongs to God. God's the creator of heaven and earth, and everything that we are and everything that we receive in this life, it's not ours. It belongs to our Heavenly Father, God in heaven. 
We may not begin to think that by means of our own care, the Catechism reminds us, of our own care and our own industry that we have acquired now in our lives what we have received. At times that, that can be the case, you know. We can begin to boast in our own skill, in our own ability to gain what we have. But the fact of the matter is, is that everything that we have has exactly been given to us by God. Because everything in this world belongs to God himself. He has made it. And that God gives these things to those whomsoever he wills. I mean, let's even step back a little bit. Our ability, our health, our strength, our, our skill, our intelligence, all of that comes, you see, from God himself. He gives us these things in order that we might labor in the midst of this world. So everything is given to you and me. And God is the fountain, therefore, of every good and perfect gift. And that's what we have been reminded of here in the verse that we read in James 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Here's the key. Here's the key. Take, take, take note of this now. Here's the key. What God gives to us, he has the perfect right to take away, too. He distributes to some more than others. He distributes to some of us less, but God distributes it all, and he has a right to take all of it away from us, too. We learned of that in Scripture. He has done that in the past, and he will do that to you and me in the future, too. Revelation 13, he speaks there, John speaks there of the, the rise of the Antichrist and what he's going to do to those who believe, right? He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. It's the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. That will be the persecution of the church in the future. Slowly but surely, the Antichrist is going to take away everything that we have as believers. What will we do then? See, if we're not prepared now already in our lives with all of the wealth that the Lord has given to you and to me, if we're not prepared now, that will be a true test of our Christian character in that day. Are we willing to give up everything that the Lord has given us for the sake of Jesus Christ, whom we confess? So it's not our own care. It's not our own industry, you see. 
that has gotten us where we are today. It's God's bountiful hand because he's the giver of every good and every perfect gift. And we acknowledge that. In our prayers, we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that God is always good, always a good provider for you and for me, no matter if we have a lot, no matter if we have little. Sometimes, sometimes I think that we, we, do, we would do much better if we didn't have all that much in the way of earthly possessions, including myself. I don't exclude myself from that. But there is more yet to this petition. We've not exhausted what we must be aware of when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's not that God simply is the fountain of all good. We certainly acknowledge that too. We've acknowledged that all along now, this morning. Our prayer is already rich in this regard. Number one, we certainly acknowledge that God gives to us the necessities of life. We thank him for those necessities, and we thank him for all of the extras that we receive too. We acknowledge that he has given to you and to me what we possess in this life. We see his hand with our lives in this world, each and every one of us, as we receive things from his hand and we ask him for contentment and joy in all of these things. But there's one more truth we acknowledge that none of these earthly gifts and none of these earthly possessions profit us one whit, not one little bit, without God's blessing. Riches? Riches in themselves are nothing. They're empty. They're empty. They mean nothing in our lives unless God himself accompanies those things with his blessing. Now, it's in that regard, of course, that those who believe in common grace, we hear that word often enough, in common grace, err. Because they believe that blessing is found in things. And if God gives to the wicked, the reprobate man, all of these good gifts that we find in this world, well, then God is blessing him and showing him his favor and his grace. So they say God shows not saving grace to everybody, not saving grace, but his common grace to everybody and all of the things of this present creation. I mean, that wicked man receives riches, that farmer receives sunshine and rain, the reprobate man, and they say, well, hey, that, 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 that means that God is blessing the reprobate man as well as the elect child of God. Well, the Heidelberg Catechism stands diametrically opposed to that kind of a view. Now, let me explain that once. According to the era of common grace, God shows his grace, his favorable attitude now toward the reprobate man whom he has chosen to everlasting destruction. He is blessing that reprobate man. He blesses that reprobate man not by saving him, but he blesses that reprobate man by giving him all kinds of his earthly riches and wealth. That's 
common grace, favorable attitude of God toward the wicked in the things that he gives him in this life. That error makes riches synonymous with blessing. People of God, that error discourages the godly man and woman. Really, it discourages us. It discouraged Asaph. And that's why he penned the words also of Psalm 73. He had fallen into error because he was looking at the reprobate rich man whose eyes, he said, stood out with fatness and who had more than his heart could desire. Nasaph complained that he had cleansed his own heart in vain. The reprobate seemed to receive much more in the way of God's favor than what he had in his life. That was too painful for him, he said. This is too painful for me. Until he came into the presence of God in prayer. And then God made him to understand the end of that wicked man. God in all reality had given that wicked man all of these riches in order to set him in slippery places and cast him down into destruction. And surely then those earthly riches were not God's blessing upon the reprobate man, but on the contrary, it was God's curse upon that wicked man. God damns the wicked by means of the earthly gifts. Earthly riches are no more a blessing in themselves than a lack of those riches are a curse, you see. And Solomon tells us, Proverbs 3, verse 33, that the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. And God blesses the habitation of the just. Now, whether you and I receive a lot from the hand of God, or whether you and I receive very, very little from the hand of God, God's blessing us. He could take everything away, and God is still blessing us. Even if we have next to nothing. That's the joy of the believer, too. This is why, you see, we are God's children. We're God's children. The wicked do not belong to the family of God in this world. They receive nothing from God's hand in his favor and love. We belong to God's family. And we belong to God's family not because somehow we have merited our place there or deserve that place there. When Jesus Christ earned for you and me the forgiveness of sins on the cross, when he redeemed us in his blood, when he justified you and me, that became the basis of this blessed work of God in our lives. We become the adopted sons and daughters of God. And our God is our heavenly Father. And he will withhold no good. In other words, he will give us all things good in this life. Everything. They all come as a blessing. That's why Paul could say that all things work together for our good, who are the called of God. Everything does. And that we recognize in this petition too, you see. Everything that I receive is accompanied by God's blessing. 
in my life. I, I need to recognize that. Because these riches in themselves mean nothing. And our wealth can profit us nothing if it does not carry away with it God's blessing. So we ask God to grant to us his blessing in it all too. That's what we seek in this petition. Well, the Heidelberg Catechism concludes now, this particular Lord's Day, with these words. And therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it alone in thee. God gives us this world's possessions to live in this present world, and we need them, and he provides them. And when we work hard, yes, God gives us the extras in life, too. And we experience that, that wealth just, just, just like Abraham, just like Job, just like David, who had much in the way of riches. There is nothing wrong with those riches. These things are accompanied with God's blessing, and they're not to be despised, certainly not, not to be refused, but oh, the danger. Love of money is the root of all evil. Do not, beloved saints, and I repeat, do not place your trust in the things that God has given to you and me. Then they become an idol. And their riches become an idol. Do not place your trust in these things. If we do, they disappear, and they will, and when they disappear, we're going to disappear with them. We must withdraw our trust from these things, and Paul writes of that too. 1 Timothy 6, 17, do not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Place your trust in God alone. And that ultimately, too, is our prayer in this little, short, concise petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to place our trust in Thee and in Thee alone. Work in us by Thy grace that we may not make idols of the things of this world, but that we may see that all of these things come from Thy good and fatherly hand. Teach us. Therefore, to give thee thanks and to rest alone in thee. May that characterize you and me, beloved saints, as we are called to live our lives in the midst of this world. Amen. Father in heaven, we are thankful again unto thee for the many, many gifts we receive of thy hand. And thankful that as we belong to thee as thy children, we become the objects of thy love and of thy favor, then these things are blessings to us. May we not stumble over them, but may we learn to place our trust in thee, our God. And we realize, Father, how easy it is to fail in this regard and to stumble. We pray, forgive us when we do, and strengthen us today and tomorrow so that we might go forth and place our Trust only in thee, the creator of all things. Hear our prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.